Hello and welcome to the Learn English Football Podcast with your hosts, Tom and Tim. Hi, Tom. Hi, Tim. How are you? I'm very well, very well. Lots of football in my life at the moment, so I can't complain. Yes, I understand. How about you? How are you? Uh, very well as well. I've also caught some football, although I think you caught some live football at the weekend, didn't you? The, the Almeria-Real Betis game. Yeah, in the last week, I've been to two two live matches, Almeria Betis and Real Madrid Napoli. So uh, it's been a feast of football, getting into the festive season, Tom, you know, wow. got to spoil yourself. Wow. Well, this episode is not going to be about Spanish or Champions League football, but I just do have a couple of quick questions for you about those games. First of all, Real Madrid Napoli, I believe Real Madrid won the game. Uh, what was the score? It was 4-2. Um, it was two all until the last 10 minutes. But okay. to be honest, in the second half, Real Madrid, in the first half, it was quite even. But in the second half, Real Madrid looked like they had the quality to uh, to step up their game and create the chances they needed to win it. Who, and who were the outstanding players for you that delivered that quality? Um, really? I mean, there was definitely two, maybe three outstanding players for Madrid. The real standout player was Jude Bellingham. His ability on the ball, both dribbling, passing, his ability to control the ball um, and to retain possession in really difficult situations where most other players would lose the ball or, more, more probably, not even put themselves into those situations. Well, Bellingham puts himself willingly into those situations, knowing that he's always got an out. He's an incredible player. To have um, an out, that's a nice expression, meaning a way to escape danger. Yeah. Yes. Um, and his out was either a touch that would take him into space or a pass that uh, nobody else thought was on. Um, and to have something on is to be available. Um, so, yeah, it was incredible. And also Tony Cruz, what a player, what a passer. He really does have a whole the whole game in his mind. And I think he knows where every player is on that pitch at any one time. And he doesn't really look as if he's trying that hard, but he, he sets the rhythm for Real Madrid um, and in, in a kind of metronomic way. And when I mean, when I say metronomic, I mean, he never looks like he's going to lose the ball. Uh, it almost works like a clock. Uh, and the third player who, who surprised me because I have had my doubts about him previously was Militao in defence. Um, he had a great game, uh, really kept the, the Napoli front line quiet, although they did score two goals. I don't think it was really through uh, the centre-backs uh, making mistakes. Um, it was a really high-quality game, Tom. It was quite different to the match I saw yesterday at uh, at the um, at the Almeria Stadium. Yes, for, for our listeners who are not uh, following as closely as us, Almeria, who are rooted to the bottom of the table, still winless this season, played against Real Betis at home uh, in search of their first victory. And uh, there was a, a flash of hope, wasn't there, on 29, 30 minutes played. Uh, and it was an ex-Arsenal man, Hector Bellerin, who was sent off with a red card, giving Almeria a chance to score a goal, seal a victory against 10 men for 70 minutes. But what happened to him? Well, we huffed and we puffed, but we couldn't blow the house down. Um, going back to the old nursery rhyme. Um, Almeria did create chances. I, I think it was the best performance of the season, even before the um, the, the red card to Hector Bayerin, which I would say was a soft red card. Um, it, you've definitely seen you've definitely seen things like that be given for a yellow card. He left his studs up, 
but he he anticipated the contact. He was kind of removing his foot from from an aggressive situation. I really don't think the contact was that hard. But uh, on VAR, I'm sure it looked like studs were showing when the contact was made. So, you know, in the modern day, Tom, that is a red card. But they created chances, Tom, but a good goalkeeping performance from the Real Betis goalkeeper and some terrible finishing um, meant that uh, it was nil-nil. And although we played well, a point isn't good enough. Uh, so it's gonna, I think it's going to be a long season, Tom, a long, long, long season for us Almeria supporters. Great. Well, thank you for that little insight into uh, the Spanish live football matches you've watched. But we are going to go to the Premier League now because both of us have been watching the Premier League this last weekend. I understand, Tim, according to the message you sent me, that you have seen Arsenal against Wolves, Newcastle United against Manchester United, Manchester City against Spurs. Uh, and me too. I've also seen uh, the Manchester City Spurs game, uh, West Ham Crystal Palace and Brentford and Luton. So rather than go through the games in the normal way, talking about each one, we're going to approach this episode a little bit differently. What we're going to do, I'm going to ask you, Tim, to pick uh, some standout players from each game who caught your eye and to tell me why you have chosen them. So my first question for you, Tim, is who was the best defender that you watched in the Premier League? Well, firstly, that's, I think that's a trick question, Tom, really, because a defender in the modern day, Tom, I mean, what are we talking about here? So because of, of the variety of styles you get in, in as a defender nowadays, I've not gone for attacking fullbacks. So I've eliminated from my list Alexander Zinchenko, Trent Alexander-Arnold, and that kind of player. And in fact, Tom, I think I've gone for a bit of um, uh, an option I think that will surprise you. I've gone for Jamal Lascelles of Newcastle. Um, and partly because of his performances, but partly because of his story, um, he, of course, is club captain. He's been at Newcastle for a long time, long before the, the money came a few years ago. And rightfully, he's lost his place in the side. He's not one of the starting 11. But Newcastle are in the middle of an absolute injury crisis. And uh, Jamal Lascelles has come back into the side. I know a lot of Newcastle fans were looking at this period with some difficult fixtures with playing uh, Monday, uh, sorry, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday. And they were thinking that with their injuries, they were really going to struggle. But I think Jamal Lascelles has stepped up alongside Fabian Scher, uh, Shah, sorry. Um, and and I think he's proving himself. And I think it's a really nice story. I've, I've always rated him as a, as a defender. Um, I think he's one of those players who he wants to represent his club. So he's been happy to stay at Newcastle and fight for his position and even accept a bench role as opposed to going to a smaller club where he'd been he'd probably be guaranteed a start. So, Tom, I bet you didn't expect me to say Jamal Lascelles, did you? I must say he was in close competition with his defensive partner, Fabian Shah, because it, actually, if you watched Newcastle against Manchester United this weekend, they were both very solid, but probably F Fabian Shah was a little bit classier on the ball. Um, he can actually bring the ball out of defence very effectively and, and went close with a couple of headers, but that's that's for that's for beautiful football, Tom. We're talking about defenders here, and and I like Jamal Lascelles because I think he's one of those traditional, strong, um, you know, a real leader at the back. So that's why I've gone for him. What about you, Tom? Who have you gone for? Well, Tim, you didn't surprise me so much because I also had to pick a Newcastle United defender. Uh, 
considering they did get a clean sheet, meaning that they didn't concede any goals against Manchester United, and considering actually how good that whole back four is. You have Kieran Trippier, who Kieran Trippier, who has been so consistent, uh, not only as a defender, but providing assists as well. I think he got the assist for Anthony Gordon's goal on, on the game against Manchester. Uh, you've got Tino Livramento on the other side, who stepped in at left back and uh, has been playing like he's been in that side for years. Uh, I did pick Jamal LaSalle's partner. I did go with Fabian Shah. Uh, probably oh. I was a little bit biased because I, I was watching the game in midweek when Newcastle went to Paris Saint-Germain as well. And I thought Fabian Shah was outstanding in that game. And he followed it up with another very, very strong performance. Uh, I agree with you. Jamal LaSalle's is very, very solid. But Shah does have that ability to... Uh, bring the ball forward and create trouble uh he's not one of these def- he's not like harry Maguire where he brings it forward and you're holding your breath thinking that he's just about to lose the ball or make a mistake he's actually got enough quality to actually make do positive things when he brings the ball forward so i went with shah in that case although like i said it could have been any of that back four next question tim Yes, just a little thing, Tom, before we move on, how far away from having to do Harry Maguire apology special are we? Because, I mean, I've been famously known for criticising him. I, I don't think you're his biggest fan either. But I think he is having a good season. Um, if you were to ask the, the Man United fans uh, of, of all the terrible uh, things that are happening at the club, what have been their positive points this season? You would probably hear Maguire quite a lot. He's keeping Varane out of the side. Um, I mean, I, I I certainly don't want him starting for England, but uh, I think he's he's outperforming a lot of the critics. And I think as um, to receive all that criticism, come back and to play some of your best football, I think is uh, is a mark of a, of a real strong sporting mentality. So fair play to him. But I, I'd agree with that. Yes, although you know. Th- Adding the caveat, meaning adding the the extra phrase that, you know, we, we are very aware of his limitations. We know what oh, his strengths and what are. his weaknesses are. Uh, difference maker, Tim, in the games you watched, was there a player who made a difference for you? Well, another trick question, Tom, because essentially I, I want, I've written Bellingham. And I've written a load of reasons why Bellingham. But then, of course, he's not playing in the Premier League. So I've had to cross him out uh, and write another couple of players. And again, I've gone for a player because I've had two players on the list and I've not chosen one because he's going somewhere else. Um, But I think um, Bakayu Saka, Tom, Bakayu Saka, he is a difference maker, not just this weekend, but every time he he takes to the pitch for Arsenal. I mean, this weekend he got a goal. But more than his goal, what he does, Tom, is he's he's able to manage play because you can play a pass to Saka, and if there's space to be attacked, he's he he'll attack it. He'll be aware of that aware of that space. But if there is no space, he's able to to hold up the ball, uh, to bring other players into play, to to play assists to other players as well. Some really nice crosses this weekend. In fact, he started the attack for the second Arsenal goal, although he didn't get the assist. Um, he gets kicked time after time after time again uh, by by the opposition fullbacks. He doesn't get any protection from the referees. Um, and I think he is the complete player. Um, I think he's the youngest Arsenal player. Uh, no, I sorry, he's got 
the same amount of goals as and assists as Feb as Cesc Fabregas had at Arsenal in like seventy fewer games or something. He's an absolute star for Arsenal on a weekly basis. And Arsenal, I don't know if you saw us this weekend, Tom, but we did play really well. I think the scoreline doesn't really do us justice. Um, if if we'd finished better, I think it could have been four or five nil, and a lot of that was down to the fluidity created by more, our more attacking players, and and Saka, of course, was at the heart of that. Um, well, I, I didn't see the whole game, but I did see the highlights, and I I would agree that uh, of those chances Arsenal created, Saka was always in there around the box, causing trouble with that wand of a left foot, wands being the instrument that a magician uses to cast magic spells. Uh, yeah. Who's, with... who's making the difference? Who's standing out for you, Tom? I've also gone for youth, Tim. And uh, this is a bit of a surprising one. I've stuck with Newcastle United. Maybe I know you who know. you're going to go for. Uh, what is the the 17-year-old? Miley. 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 Yes, that's right. I think it's Lewis Miley. But, uh, Lewis Miley, that's I'm it. I'm sure we'll no learn a lot more about him. Uh, to, to be fair, this whole Newcastle team has so many great players in it. In, in that game against Manchester United, I, I have to say Anthony Gordon was excellent. Pablo Almiron. Uh, Joe Linton. Joe Lid. Yes, the, 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 so Jim many Rice. players. But what's impressive about Miley is he's so young and he's slotted in to that spot on the right side of midfield by slotted in, meaning that he's just slid into position in a very natural way. And when you watch him on the ball, you see that he's instinctively making the right decisions and he's very, very composed, uh, even under pressure. So I just really enjoyed watching him contribute to the Newcastle attacks. Uh, he, he was he was an instrumental part of things, even though he wasn't the guy maybe playing the assist or having the shot. You could see that he was behind things uh, laying the passes off and creating the opportunities for his teammates. Yeah, I mean, he's he's had an incredible couple of weeks. Bear in mind, he, he hadn't played for Newcastle until very recently. And in the last week, of course, he played against Chelsea last weekend and do absolutely dominated Moises Caicedo, who, of course, is a hundred million pounds worth of midfielder. Um, and then, of course, they had the Champions League in midweek uh, against Paris Saint-Germain, and he put in another standout performance for, for, for Newcastle against Paris Saint-Germain. And, of course, when you're up against Paris Saint-Germain, you're up against a top, top quality midfield of Ugarte, Fabian Ruiz and Lee. Um, you know, so to be doing it at the top level and then, you know, with no rest... To, to take on Manchester United, again, you know, this isn't the strongest Manchester United side, but they've got Bruno Fernandes, who's a world-class operator in anybody's book. So it really is hats off to him. Tom, the, the standout player that I nearly went for was from the Newcastle side, and it was Joel Linton. Um, and it was because his ability just... He, I think he's been taught how to use his body in the last two seasons or a season and a half because before he was a Brazilian football player and with all the associations you make with a Brazilian football player, kind of a good touch, creative, um, something magical to see. But I, I think what he's really done is learn how to use his body, uh, use his bulk, which means his weight. And watching him against Manchester United, he was really putting himself about, which means covering all areas of the pitch and getting involved in tackles. Um, I think it, him and Bruno Guimaraes are the heart, uh, at the heart of that Newcastle side are really dangerous. That's a good point about using his body well. It's true that 
when he came to Newcastle, Steve Bruce was playing him as the main number nine striker, and he struggled to stop uh, defenders from uh, to protect the ball from defenders getting to him. Uh, he seems to be a player who has thrived. To thrive means to excel, to to, to, do, to well. do very very well. Yes, in midfield, and I think part of that as well is that he's able to position himself in a way where he's not playing with his back to the goal. He's able to be playing, looking forward when he's making his passes. So yes, I I agree that he has been excellent. Uh, for Newcastle, a revelation in midfield. Moving on, Tim. Uh, assist. Which player made the best assist for a goal? Well, because I wanted to pick him for best defender and I wanted to pick him for difference maker, I've had to put him somewhere. Alexander Zinchenko. Um, I mean, I really thought Zinchenko this well. The second goal for Arsenal this week was a, a typical Arsenal passing move. Um, the ball was uh, well. The ball was uh, played into Jesus uh, fr from Zinchenko. Zinchenko then overlapped on his left wing. Uh, Jesus played a first touch ball through the defence. Zinchenko ran onto his pass, and I think it was either first or second touch. I think it was first touch. Cut it back to the top of the area where um, where Martin Odegaard hammered the ball home with his uh, with his first touch again. So yes, actually it was. It was three first touches. I'm just watching it now. Uh, Saka gets the ball on the right. Spread. Oh no, sorry. Um, no, yeah, and um, so Zinchenko get first touch into Jesus. First touch back to Zinchenko. First touch back to Odegaard. First touch into the back of the net. And as an Arsenal fan. Uh, born and bred under Arsene Wenger. Um, I mean, that is what gets me going, Tom. That's what floats my boat. And to float your boat means to make you happy. Well, what about Tim, you? Do you see any uh, defence splitting <laughs> passes through the eye of the needle? Well, before I, I tell you my assist of the week, I, I have to say, I think you're showing a little bit of Arsenal bias with the Zinchenko goal. I agree that his first touch, the, the, the cutback was very good. The accuracy to pick out Odegaard was very good. But I did notice that that ball wasn't clean along the ground for Odegaard. I thought that it was bobbling a little bit. And it was actually the quality of Martin Odegaard to take it just above the half volley that made it into a good assist. So that's my own critique of it. But when, I mean, well, It's a funny thing when you say assist, though, because, again, assist is another trick question. Because what are we talking about? If we're talking about just the Zinchenko pass, then I, I can agree with you. But if we're looking at the the assist being the accumulation of the build-up play before the goal and the one-touch passing and the vision and the creativity, then I'm afraid I'm going to have to strongly disagree. I do okay. understand where you're coming from, though. Well, I think you're really going to disagree with my assist because I've chosen a Tottenham player. <laughs> Ooh! Yes. Go on, then. Break my heart. Uh, this was in the, the game on Sunday. Tottenham were losing 3-2 against Manchester City at the Etihad Stadium. Uh, Tottenham were going for it, as has been the uh, the, the Postigoglu, if I'm pronouncing the coach's name correctly. His style has been very attacking for Tottenham this season. Uh, the ball, it was a cross actually from Brennan Johnson. He was playing on the left of a three-man attack and uh, he faked, he dummied to, to pretending to go inside, knocked the ball around the outside and then he delivered a lovely delivery on his left foot that just was 
hung up perfectly on the penalty spot in the air for Kulichevsky to come in and out jump Nathan Ake and plant his header. So again, credit to Kulichevsky for a fantastic header, which was unstoppable. Edson Alvarez had no chance, but uh, I just loved the delivery as well because Brennan Johnson was running at speed. He'd, he'd, he'd had to go quickly to, to get past his defender and deliver it first time with his left foot. And I just thought it was a fabulous delivery. Yeah, I've just watched the goal now. Um, it is a good goal. And of course, he beats Carl Walker on the outside, which is no mean feat, which is a nice way of saying it's no easy thing to do. And he does float it up into a nice area. I mean, Ake will certainly have some answers uh, to, to, to give back to Pep Guardiola when he gets back to the dressing room. I mean, he should really have attacked the ball better and not let Kulosevsky climb higher. But it was a good ball. It was there to be attacked. And if you put it into dangerous areas, eventually it will get uh, it will go into the net. It was a great game that Tottenham um, Manchester City match uh, and I don't like complimenting Tottenham but I will. They started the match with a back four of entirely wing backs. Their central defenders are all injured and if you think Emerson Royale has been criticised for being poor defensively when playing at right back, well you can imagine uh, playing at centre back, I think a lot of the Tottenham fans were really having having nightmares pre-match about the City, what City might do to them. But I think the Tottenham defence did really well and I've got to give them full credit. Uh, now I'm just going to go and wash my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to move on then, Tim. Let's move on to mistake. Which player or which team made a terrible mistake? Usually it comes down to an individual player, although it could be more than one. What's your answer? Well, Tom, if you want a player, then we're going to have to go outside the Premier League. If you're happy with officials, then we can stay in the Premier League. Uh, on the Premier League option, I'm going to go for the, the referee of the Manchester City Tottenham match, Simon Hooper. For those people who didn't see the match, in the very final seconds of added time in the second half, uh, Erling Haaland came deep for a long ball. He did get a kick. And he did kind of stumble to the floor, but he he bounced up almost before he'd hit the floor and the ball was never out of his possession. And the, the referee was right next to it and rightfully, in my opinion, waved play on. And with his very next touch, Erling Haaland played a wonderful through ball to an onrushing Jack Grealish, who was through on goal. Um, and suddenly... The, the advantage was brought back for a free kick uh, on in the in the center of the pitch and um I mean I'm, I'm sure a lot of our listeners will have heard will have seen Erling Haaland's reaction I mean he's been charged for his reaction by the FA for intimidating the referee but you you could see the disbelief I mean the referee has made the correct decision he's playing the advantage and then I don't know what's going through his head I think it must just have been a fear or he didn't really know what was happening he, he he didn't feel quite in control of the situation and just blew his whistle out of an instinctive reaction. I think he admitted he was wrong almost immediately. Um, and referees don't often do that. But uh, as an Arsenal fan, uh, having seen Tottenham so happy to come back into the match, I was desperate to see them uh, concede a goal in the last seconds of the match. So I'm going to give it to Simon Hooper for the Premier League. Mm -hmm. However, Tom, I'm, I, did you see the, this one, Tom? I presume you did, right? I, I did see that one. And I think you used a nice expression earlier to have nightmares. I think Simon Hooper must have been having nightmares the last two or three nights thinking about exactly what you thought. What was going through my mind? Why did I blow that whistle? 
reversal then, because as you you rightly say, he waved play on. He, he, showed, he why did he blow the whistle? We, only he can answer that. But he doesn't. Know. Yeah, especially in the time in the in the in the time in the era of VAR, because you know he could have let the play go on, and if he did have a doubt about, oh, was there a handball, or was there this, or was there that. He can just check it. I mean, that's what VAR's for. So there was absolutely no reason to bring play back. Um, absolutely craziness. Anyway, Tom, um, I'm going to move now to the um, to the Bundesliga DOS, to the second Bundesliga, Zwei Bundesliga. No, Ein Zwei. Yes, sorry. Sorry, German speakers, but my German's not the best. Um, Daniel, uh, <laughs> my still German's still not the best. Daniel Heuer, H-E-U-E-R. Um goalkeeper for Hamburg, playing against local rival Sam Pauli. It seems as if the Hamburg defence were trying to do some kind of tiki-taka, play the ball out of defence whilst inside their own area. The defender plays it back towards the goalkeeper from a, from a very tight angle. I think the ball's actually going to go wide, but the goalkeeper tries to kick it away from about 30 centimetres from the goal line, and he scuffs the ball. Uh, to scuff the ball means not to make clean contact. So instead of it coming off the top of his foot, it comes off the side of his foot, and it goes right into the roof of the net from about 10 centimetres away from the goal. Um, it's hilarious. It's so good. If you have seen it, uh, type into YouTube, St. Pauli, Hamburg, own goal and you'll love it. I was giggling. I must have watched it at least 20 times since. It was an absolute howler and a howler, Tom, is a massive error. Um, but it wasn't Premier League, so I can't really say that it counts. <laughs> well, OK, thanks for that tip. I'm sure myself and our listeners will be looking up that howler, that goalkeeper howler. Uh, my mistake oh, it was a real clanger, a real clanger, a real howler. Uh, my mistake is also from the Manchester City. Uh, actually, I, I had to. I, my runner-up mistake was the Manchester City-Tottenham game. Tottenham had worked themselves back to a 2-2 tie. Pedro Por Porro. Uh, can you roll your R? Porro? Porro? Porro. Oh, nice. Very good. Uh, he scored an absolutely uh, beautiful goal. Or was it Los Celso? Sorry, Los Celso who got Los the Celso goal. Los Celso scored yeah, the goal. Yeah, got the goal. And then just a few minutes later... Uh, Bissouma had the ball. He'd won the ball back for Tottenham just in front of the Tottenham's own penalty area. He was in a little bit of trouble. He was being closed down by two Manchester City midfielders, but he had an out, to use that expression. He had a simple pass to the wing. He had his uh, left fullback available to receive the pass. Instead of choosing the pass that was in front of him, he decides to turn, do a 180-degree turn, cut back inside, and is immediately dispossessed. And from that dispossession, uh, Rodri lays it through to Haaland. Haaland crosses, and I believe Jack Grealish scores City's third goal. So from the managerial point of view, I would be absolutely fuming fuming meaning furious with my player there because you play it simple when you're in a dangerous place you don't take those risks but then Tim then I watched the highlights of Sheffield United away at Burnley and uh, I don't know if you're you familiar you really are a purist Tom you really are a purist <laughs> Uh, that game was uh, tarnished by a red card that happened in the first half to uh, Ollie McBurney. And uh, he actually went up for a header uh, with his elbow and uh, was rightly given a yellow card warning by the referee. We, we haven't really 
allowed this kind of attacking play to jump up for the ball with a high elbow aimed in the direction of your opponent's head. We haven't allowed that for many, many years now in the Premier League. So to see him do that and get the yellow card, it was a bit of a surprise. Uh, and then just a few minutes later, he did exactly the same thing again and earned a red card for two yellow card offences. Arguably, the first one could have been a red card on its own. Uh, and that left his team 1-0 down with 10 men and to see out over, I think, 50, 55 minutes of football, maybe maybe more than 60 minutes. So for those two terrible aerial challenges, I have to give it to Ollie McBurney, which resulted in Sheffield United losing 5-0 in the end. And also it might well result in Paul Heckingbottom uh, getting the the the, the boot. Uh, there's lots of talk that Chris Wilder will be brought back to the club. So a very expensive goal, both for his club, uh, a very expensive error, both for his club and for his manager. Mm-hmm. Would you now, would you describe it as a schoolboy error? I think it is in this day and age. You, uh, I, I have to say, I, I used to have sympathy with the idea that when you jump up, you do use your arms to, to you could say for leverage, meaning that it is natural to bring your arms up into the air to get more height. But it's certainly a schoolboy error in this day and age because it always gets punished, sometimes with a straight red card, not even a yellow. Anyway, yeah. Tim, let's move on to the final question for you for this episode. What was the best goal you saw in the Premier League? Well, it would be very easy to have this conversation the week previous, Tom, because the Garnacho goal, I think, was one of the best bicycle kicks any of us have ever seen. Um, and it's quite a difficult conversation this week, not in terms of which match the goal came from, but definitely in terms of which goal from this that match. And I'm, of course, talking about uh, Liverpool-Fulham. Um, I've All three of them are on my list, and I, I find it You're very difficult. You're talking about the, the three Liverpool goals. The three yes. Liverpool goals, yeah. You've got a Trent Alexander-Arnold free kick uh, from, the, from a long way out and from the right-hand side. And you can see from the angle he attacks the ball from, he's got a real Beckham way of shaping the ball and getting huge amounts of whip and curl on the ball. Um, and it was a wonderful strike because sometimes when players curl the ball, it's at the at the cost of, of speed. But when the top players are able to take free kicks like a Beckham or, or a Trent Alexander-Arnold in, in such a way, they're getting that same amount of spin, but really getting a lot of speed on the ball. And that's what Trent Alexander-Arnold did right off the top of the post and into the goal. I think it was Bert Leno. I think he was still on the pitch before he got injured at that point. Um, had absolutely no chance. It was wonderful. Um, just to ask you, Tom, is, is your goal any of the Liverpool goals or is it from a different game? It is. It's one of the Liverpool goals, yes. And is it the Trent Alexander-Arnold goal? No, it's not. No. Well, in that case, I'll let you describe the, the what you thought was, and then I'll <laughs> describe the last goal, and then we can try and make a decision. Okay. Well, for me, it has to be uh, the Argentinian midfielder, McAllister. Uh, obviously, uh, there was a little bit of fortune in the lead-up to the goal. Fulham were trying to break out, and uh, Raul Jimenez, the striker for the Mexico and Fulham, uh, tried to lay the ball off for his teammate with a header, but he misdirected the header, and it bounced nicely into the path of Alice of uh, McAllister. But he was still, I think, Tim, at least 30 metres away from goal. 
uh, and he took the ball just up off the half volley. It just it was in the air a little bit and he smashed it straight into the top corner. So for the power and the precision of that strike uh, from that distance into the top corner, uh, that for me was my goal of the week. I would agree that it was possibly the most spectacular goal because it was, I think it was probably the furthest out of the three Liverpool goals. Um, the one thing I'd have against that goal, and it's not a criticism of the goal in any way, just in terms of the difficulty of the skill, I would argue that because it was a slightly bouncing ball, um, it was absolutely perfect to swing your leg at it and give it absolutely everything you've got. I think if me and you were, were given such a bouncing ball, maybe 30 or 40 or even 50 times, I think we would be able to produce that goal maybe once. Whereas the, the thing about the Alexander-Arnold free kick is I think it's a much more difficult skill to generate that precision over a wall from that distance with the same amount of curl and things like that. I agree that on the eye, I think the McAllister goal was um, was probably was probably more spectacular. But I think the Trent Alexander-Arnold goal is, uh, is a more difficult uh, skill to, to execute. That's very interesting. I, I, I would agree with that point. However... The Trent Alexander-Arnold goal was in fact given as an own goal against Leno because the ball bounced down off the crossbar off the back of Leno and into his own net. So technically I'm with you, but uh, officially, can we call it uh, Alexander-Arnold's goal? I'm not sure if we can. One second. I'm going to check with my application here, Tom. If my application gives it to, uh... to Leno, <laughs> I'm pretty sure yeah. we've got to give that to him. I agree. Um, I, he, he deserves that goal. But uh, I checked on it earlier and uh, I discovered that the first goal was was given to Leno as an own goal. Let me double yeah, check. He's now. not wrong. He's not 20 wrong. minutes played. Yes. So you could argue you could argue Alexander Arnold got justice at the end. He got the winning goal on 88 minutes and it was he another did. great goal, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. I think, Tom, the, the other third goal that I want to mention is not the Alexander-Arnold goal. It's the Endo goal. Um, I thought it was a great goal. First goal for the club, uh, top of the box, um, straight into the top corner. I don't think it can compete with either McAllister or Trent Alexander-Arnold. I'm still giving it to Trent. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I know Leno won't be claiming it. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, I think, Tom, in that case, we're going to have to agree. If officially it wasn't Alexander-Arnold's goal, then we're going to have to give it to McAllister. Okay. Well, that's fantastic, Tim. I think we've been through it now. I'm sure uh, our listeners will agree on some of our decisions, but they might have their own opinions on other ones. Uh, Tim, when are we going to meet again? What's next for us? Well, uh, we've got uh, a special episode on June Belling Jude Bellingham uh, in in the in the works, which means it's 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 in a, it's in the process of of being recorded and be, and being generated and thought and investigated and all that. Um, and of course, we're coming up to the 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 business end of the Champions League group stages. Um, so. We're going to know soon who's going down to the Europa League and who's uh, getting the midweeks off. Um, and I think it's going to be a good group stage. Uh, it's A lot of the groups are going right down to the end. Um, I mean, the Manchester United group, anything's possible. Uh, the Newcastle, AC Milan, Paris Saint-Germain group, any of those, three of those only one of those three teams will qualify alongside Borussia Dortmund. Um, 
it looks like two British clubs are going, or English clubs are going to drop out of the Champions League if things stay as they are, uh, which of course would be a shame for English football. Um, but they've also got some standout performances. Real Sociedad, Real Madrid have won all of their great uh, group games. Um, so it's an exciting Champions League. Um, yeah, Tom, you know, Tom, football never stops. Football never stops. And finally, Tim, I understand that uh, we have made an, a, a commitment off the air that Monday night will be our regular slot now for uh, for, for the left pod. So how, can we officially commit to that to our listeners th- that Monday evening we can do it? I think we can. I think we can. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's the best time in the week to look back on the weekend's action. And it's also a good time to preview any exciting midweek Champions League matches. That's a good point. Yes. Okay, good. Well, let's leave it there. Thank you very much, Tim. That was a very interesting episode. And thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. Uh, You know how to reach us. You can send us a message through the Facebook group. And if you want to help us with the podcast, you can leave us a review, leave us a little rating on your podcast platform. And of course, tell a friend who's learning English and enjoys football. You can ask them, do you speak football? We certainly do, Tom. We certainly do. All right, Tom, see you next time. Thanks to all of our listeners. Thank you, Tim. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.